Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Let's jump into James, the next part of our uh, James series, James 3. In the first 12 verses, let's read together. James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This passage always worries me slightly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. In a cheery mood, James, in this particular passage. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James using very fiery heightened language. He loves a good metaphor. He loves a good analogy, James, and he uses some really striking ones here. But what stands out is not just the helpfulness and the striking nature of the illustrations and the metaphors that he's using to help us understand the points that he's making, but it's the, it's the vigor with which he's speaking. It's the serious tone, the strong tone. You can sense within this a rebuke. Even though he's not speaking to anybody specifically saying, look, you've done this and you shouldn't do that. He's saying any of us that do this are actually out of step with the life that God wants for us. And the picture that James paints here is incredibly stark in terms of saying, look, if you stand there singing the songs, I'll praise the name of God and all of this stuff, God, we love you in this, that and the other, but you're in the business of using your very same mouth that, that, that those praises flow from, using that very same mouth to bring curses into the world then essentially you're bringing more of hell than heaven into the world. That's stark, isn't it? And that should sober us up. Now, when you see uh, James using such fiery language, you can probably make a safe assumption that he's not just doing this to make an arbitrary point. He's not just doing this because it's something that he's been thinking about. If the language is this fiery, and don't forget, when we read the epistles, another name for the epistles is occasional documents. What that means is that they are written to a specific people for a specific occasion. We've dealt a little bit with the background of James and who he's writing to. We don't know for definite exactly who he's writing to, but we know that it's a Christian community. And we can see as we read the letters that there's some problems and some issues. It's fairly safe to assume by the rest of the content of the book, and particularly by this passage, that one of the things that this community is struggling with is loose lips is poorly chosen words, is potentially gossip, 
is people putting each other down, is people uh, in whatever form it takes, essentially cursing others by the way that they speak about them and by the words that they use. And yet, no doubt, it's a Christian community that declares the praises of God. And James, very starkly, without being confused at all, simply says, look, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It's a very small part of your body, but man, does it have a big impact, just like you can have a great forest. And we saw not so long ago in California, the uh, fires that swept through a, a whole swathe of, of the northern part of the coast of, of uh, California, just north of Los Angeles, and the devastation and the damage that it wrought upon those communities. Entire communities, whole houses were destroyed. Billions in damage, not just in forests, but then when it spread to towns and communities where people actually live in their houses and their property and their possessions are burned down. What starts it all off? The tiniest spark. The tiniest spark in a dry forest where it then pours forth and like a raging fire wreaks destruction. And James is saying, look, look, look. 99% singing songs to Jesus here. 99%, yes, God, you're amazing. But even that 1%, even that 1% of curse that comes out of your mouth can have more destructive power than the 99% of goodness that came out of your mouth before it. It's powerful and it's important that we take it seriously. You know, the average person speaks 5,000 words a day. 5,000 words a day. I speak about 25,000 words a day. Some people speak a little bit less. John speaks about 10,000 words. 2,000 of them are the same, um, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> he doesn't mind me saying that. He's giving me the thumbs up. There we go. Great. Thank you, John. The average person speaks 5,000 words a day. The point is this. We get to decide, we get to decide what we do with those words. We get to decide whether those are 5,000 words of blessing or 5,000 bullets with which we shoot people down with. What comes out of your mouth? 5,000 blessings or 5,000 bullets each day? There are some uh, Christians who, um, and I'm not trying to have a go, but there are some Christians, it seems to me, who are very passionate about spiritual gifts. That's wonderful. Paul says we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And of course, the gift of tongues is a, is a gift that we see outworked in, in many different ways. And those who are blessed to have the gift of tongues are blessed indeed. It's a wonderful, special, precious gift. No more special than any of the other gifts, but it's, it's special and profound that God would bless us with a uh, a heavenly language with which we can commune with him and also another outworking of the gift of tongues, even a known language that we don't know that God blesses us with an ability to speak a language that someone else understands, which means we can evangelize to a culture that we wouldn't otherwise be able to evangelize to. I've heard incredible stories of things like that happening. Wonderful. Uh, and yet the truth is I, I do worry sometimes that there might be some Christians that are more obsessed with the gift of tongues than they are in simply taming the regular tongue that they actually have. And actually, before we concern ourselves with spiritual gifts, we need to concern ourselves with spiritual character. The fruit of the Spirit is the bedrock from which spiritual gifts will be used well. If you have the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, or whatever else, you think, well, how could those things be used for anything other than the glory of God or this, that, or the other? Oh, very easily, <laughs> very easily. We know that we like to puff ourselves up and we like to think a little bit too much of ourselves. And if you have a special gift, it's very easy for you to quickly decide that that gift somehow makes you 
superior. Look at me, I've got this gift. And it becomes about your glory rather than God's glory. The way that you avoid that, of course, is by having Christ-like character from which a gift can flow in humility. And what James is saying here is, is Christ-like character involves every part of you, including that most small objects within your body, the tongue, which can have such a wonderful effect or such a damaging effect. The truth is we in life speak primarily to four audiences. And I want to just take a quick little survey and have a little look through the Bible, how we can understand in light of what James is saying, how to speak effectively to the four primary audiences that we speak to in this world and make decisions day by day by day. In God's strength, are we going to bring blessing or are we going to bring bullets? It's our choice and God will empower you to, uh, to turn uh, into blessing rather than curse. So the first audience we speak to is we speak to God. God's our primary audience. For the audience of one is ultimately how we live our lives. We live our lives in light of the fact that he's created us, that he loves us, that he's redeemed and restored us back into relationship with himself and we can commune with our God. So we speak to God and how do we speak to God? Well, we proclaim thanks. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we've been doing this morning. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just when you feel like you should be thankful. Not when it seems like it's going great. Not when God seems to have blessed you with things that match up with your idea of what a blessing should be. But give thanks in all situations and circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not just because it's a good idea. Not just because it will be good for your mental health. A positive attitude will be good for mental health. I, I believe in that. I think that's a good way to go about it. But that's not the reason. The reason is because it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to be thankful. Because he's everything. Essentially what, what's being said here is when we truly come to a place of understanding that Christ is enough. When we truly come to a place of understanding that God is everything that we need. We lack for nothing when we have God. Oh sure, circumstantially life might be somewhat confusing. Circumstantially life might throw us a few curveballs. Circumstantially in, in, in the natural we may feel like we don't have something that we need. But there is something more important than the natural. It's the supernatural that informs how we perceive the natural. And God says, I am enough. I'm everything. I am sufficient. I am sovereign. I am all powerful. I am all knowing. I am all loving. I am everything. That song, Christ is enough for me, that we sing. When we sing that song, do we really mean it? Because God means it when he asks us to worship him as such, that he is everything. So God's desire is that we would have a posture of thankfulness because he knows that when we have a posture of thankfulness in every single circumstance of our lives, we are giving glory to the reason why we can live in the first place. And that will change our whole outlook on everything that we do. Have you ever been unwittingly thankful or unwillingly thankful? It's kind of hard to do it. I remember I was preaching at a university outreach event one time and I'm 
They said to me before we started, oh, we've got these Mark's Gospels. Will you preach that we're going to give out at the end? So will you preach your gospel around a verse from Mark's Gospel and actually read it out so there's like a visual. They can see you reading from this nice Bible thing that we've produced and then they'll all get one at the end. I was of course, no problem. That's a great idea. So I did my little reading thing from Mark's Gospel. I read it out so we had the visual representation and then I finished. But it was quite a big thing that they'd made and they didn't give me a table or anything and I, I didn't then want to hold it for the next 10 minutes. So I, I just turned around and I kind of just dropped it dropped it to the floor, you know, and I carried on. I did my thing and people gave their lives to Jesus and it was a real joy and a privilege to be part of it. At the end, <laughs> this, this happens when you're a speaker, this happens. You, you can always see them as well coming from a mile away. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm stood at the kind of the door and I'm talking to a few people and, and I kind of look up and I see this guy catch my eye. And as I catch his eye, I see him starting to danger zone, walk with purpose. And he's walking with purpose towards me and I'm like, oh no. He's going to be one of the weird ones, I can tell, just, just from the way that he's looking at me as he walks towards me. He's going to be one of the weird ones. So he's walking across, and he walks with purpose, and he comes, and he does that thing where he really wants to speak to me, but he, he hasn't developed the skill of patience to wait for the person who I'm already talking to to finish. So, so he's kind of like there, and he's kind of fidgety, and he wants to get in. And I'm distracted from talking to the, the person that I'm talking to. So in the end, I'm like, I'll tell you what. I'll come find you in a couple minutes. We'll finish this conversation. Hello, sir. What can I do for you? And, uh, and he says to me, he says, shouldn't have done that. I said, oh, what's that? And he said, uh, you shouldn't throw the Bible on the floor. He said, there were Muslims here tonight and they'd have been offended by you throwing a holy book on the floor. I said, oh, okay. I said, um, do you think they might have been offended by me declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior and the only way to heaven by, by any chance? He said, uh, no, it would have been the Bible that you threw on the floor. That would have offended them. And so, uh, and so all I could think to say in that moment was, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take it under consideration. And in that moment where you find yourself thinking, I don't really know what to say to you. I don't want to be talking to you particularly. I feel less than thankful towards you, but I'm going to use thank you as a way of bringing the conversation to an end. Thank you. Hopefully that will be the end of the conversation. But when we're with God, thankfulness is not the end of the conversation. Thankfulness is the beginning of the relationship. When we're with God, thankfulness is the beginning posture that we have to move forward in the fullness of life. And we don't come to God to be begrudgingly thankful. Oh, I know that you're God, so I guess I kind of have to be thankful. Well, you don't know him then. If you know God, what else can you be but be thankful? Sure, it can be challenging when the circumstances of life get tricky. I wouldn't want to trivialize that for a second. But it's God's desire for you to be thankful even when your circumstances are challenging because that is the posture that will sustain you through the relationship that has the power for you to live. And that's God's desire for you. Number two. Uh, by the way, we say other things to God as well. We don't just proclaim thanks, but, uh, but I think that's something that we need to get our heads around, that we have to have a posture of thankfulness. Of course, we also ask God for things. We have supplication and we, we say, God, can you give us this? Can you give us that? And depending on what he feels that we accurately need and rightly need, he, he will provide uh, what is good and proper for us. We, we confess to God. That's crucial as well. But all of these things are done out of a posture of thankfulness. I can confess to God with a thankful heart, knowing that even though I'm sinning, he will forgive me. Now, I don't want to abuse that. And actually, if you think about it, if I am truly thankful that God will forgive me in my confession, I am much less likely to abuse his grace. But if I come with just confession without thankfulness, oh God, you know, I confess before you, I'm going to go and do it again. 
If I don't value the gift of forgiveness and I'm not thankful for it, I'm probably going to abuse it. But thankfulness is the posture that shifts everything that I say and do and am before God. Number two, we speak to ourselves. I mean, some people literally talk to, we got any people that talk to themselves? You, you talk, I, like, I talk to myself a little bit as well. Um, and increasingly as I'm sitting in the office um, on my own, Matt, Matt's more and more and more in Wales. So I'm in my office quite a lot. And if you walk, I'm glad that it's in the corner hidden away. Because if you walk past my office, there will be times when you'll just hear me chatting away. Just assume I'm on the phone. Most of the time I'm not. I'm just slightly odd. And um, I, I'm, I'm chatting away and, I, and, I, and I'm kind of pep talking myself. The sports people do this. Andy Murray, the tennis player, is very famous for doing this. He'll be on court and he'll be absolutely berating himself. You ever seen him doing that or other sports players? He'll hit a bad shot and he'll go away and, and routinely after he hits a bad shot and goes away and says something to himself, the commentators have to always say the same thing. Uh, we just like to apologize at home if you heard any bad language there. And because, you know, he's berating himself. It's like, oh, you stupid idiot. You know, why'd you do that? Why are you so dumb? Why are you so stupid? And I do that sometimes as well. You know, if, I'm, uh, if I've done something particularly stupid or I don't know, it could be a trivial thing like I'm playing an Xbox and I, and I, you know, miss something in a level, I miss a jump or something. Oh, you stupid idiot. Why did you do that? Why didn't you push the button sooner? Or, or it could be even, this is the crazy thing. It could even be while I'm studying the word and I'm reading something and I'm looking and, and I'm planning a talk and I'm like, oh, Ben, you're such an idiot. Why can't you get this together? Why can't you figure out how to put this together? And that's crazy. Because while I'm trying to bring life-giving words through my preaching, I am condemning myself through curses. What's that all about? We speak to ourselves, some literally, but we all speak to ourselves, at least internally. And the words we speak over ourselves are crucial. What we've got to get good at is proclaiming love over ourselves. We talk about love in the world. Are we going to go? We've got to proclaim love into the world. I'll tell you this. You'll never successfully proclaim love into the world. Until, first of all, like I just said, you're thankful to God for who he is and received his love and are thankful for his love. But, but crucially, you are able to proclaim love over yourself. If, if you can't bless yourself in light of who God is, how are you going to bless anybody else in light of who God is? We must uh, proclaim love. Proverbs 18, 21, the message paraphrases is uh, really nice here. It says uh, in how it's phrased, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. But that's not just true for the world. That's true for you. Are you drinking poison or are you nourishing yourself on fruit? You get to decide. What do you speak over yourself? There's that silly expression. Kindness costs nothing. Be kind. Kindness costs nothing. Rubbish kindness costs nothing. True kindness costs a lot. That's why it's kindness and that's why it's useful in the world. Anything useful in the world costs something. The most useful thing in the world, the love of God. What did it cost God? Everything. Cost him his son. What does kindness into the world cost us? It should cost us a lot. It should cost us time. It should cost us money. It should cost us emotional exertion. It should cost us all sorts of things. But again, we are very uh, quick, if we're good at this kind of thing, we're very quick to throw it out to the world. Are you kind to yourself? I'd say some of the most costly kindness will actually be you being kind to yourself. And from a position of proclaiming over yourself love and kindness and nourishing yourself on fruit rather than poison, blessing rather than curses, from your own mouth to yourself, you will be in a position to go and offer something sweet to the world. Number three, we speak to our family. And as we speak to our family, we proclaim forgiveness. 
Here's another stupid line. Uh, there was a movie, some of you might remember this, there was a movie in the 70s called Love Story. Anybody remember that movie, Love Story? Yes, with uh, Ryan O'Neill and um, who, who was it? Ali Sheedy, maybe? Anyway, a couple of, couple of 70s actors. And uh, the tagline for the movie Love Story is one of the most stupid taglines you will ever hear in the history of movies. Uh, it was this, love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> Love means never having to say you're sorry. What? What have you been smoking, marketing man? Crazy. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Love means being always willing to say sorry. That's what love means. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And I'm going to paraphrase now, but you'll like this. That God sent his one and only son so that we could say sorry. God has made it possible for our sorry to lead to life. And what he says is, are you willing to say sorry? And many of us are willing to say sorry to God, but are we willing to say sorry to each other? Are we willing to forgive one another when they say sorry? Again, it comes back to that costly thing, to have true kindness, to have true grace, to have true forgiveness. It is incredibly costly, and yet it is the posture that God asks us to hold, and it is the power of the tongue that can set somebody free. I'm not entirely sure that we really know what forgiveness is anymore. A lot of the time we say that we forgive somebody, but then we hold them to a pattern of repeated forgiveness for the thing that they've already done. Thank God that he doesn't work that way because I would literally spend eternity saying sorry for the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you know what? He'd be perfectly within his rights to do that because nobody is more offended than God when we sin against him. He is always the most offended party. He is the one that would be absolutely worthy of us saying sorry, 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 sorry for that one same sin. And yet the Bible very clearly tells us that when we come with a sincere heart and we say, God, I'm so sorry for that. He says, because what my son has done, you are forgiven. And God keeps no record of right and wrong. Your sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west, i.e. it could not be removed further. It is finished, Jesus says. The curse of sin, you are not bound to it anymore when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You will surely make mistakes this side of eternity because you're not yet perfect. Hopefully less and less and less as time goes on and you grow and you mature in the powerful spiritual faith that God has blessed you with. But When you do make a mistake and you bring it before God with a sincere heart, you are forgiven. Can we say, and it is done. It is done with God. It's done. He's drawn a line under it. It's done. Can we honestly say the same thing within our families, within our communities, within our friendships? That has to be true here within uh, our message community, within our church communities. Ephesians 4, 29, 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Again, tame that tongue. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? I can't think of anything worse than grieving the precious, loving, life-giving, life-sustaining Spirit of God. I don't want to grieve you, Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. It's got to go. Rage, go. Anger, go. Brawling, go. Slander. Everything that could come from here that's negative has got to go along with every form of malice. Be kind. It's costly. And compassionate. That's costly too. To one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Oftentimes the people that we find it hardest to forgive are the people that are closest to us. Because they're the ones that we feel most betrayed by when they hurt us. 
And God says, no, you've got to forgive and really forgive. Forgive in a way where it costs you something. Do we understand forgiveness well enough that when we speak to our friends and our families, we speak well of them and we build them up and where forgiveness is needed, we offer it with joy. Not, not with, with um, reluctance. Oh, I, I guess I have to. No. It is the greatest joy of my life, even though you have broken my heart to forgive you. Because it is the greatest joy of my life to know my Father in heaven who has forgiven me. And for we speak to the world. And of course, how do we speak to the world? Well, we proclaim the gospel. The gospel allows us to go into the world in the power of the spirit and through our words and deeds, of course, but through our words, bring life. Romans 10, 8, 9. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the message that we carry. And it's a message that we carry in our mouths and in our hearts, i.e. transformation. We get to speak and proclaim light into the darkness. We get to bring peace instead of chaos. James is saying, look, if our Christian communities can't even get this right, if we amongst ourselves are setting off sparks and and, and fires within the forest that burns it down, what hope is there for the world if we can't even get that right, right here amongst ourselves? You know, one of the most hurtful things that you can speak in this world is God loves you. Surely that's the best thing that you can speak out. But it's one of the most hurtful things that you can speak out if it bears no measure to what people see in your life. I don't want to get like controversial or anything like that, but I've I, I got to be honest, I do get a little bit dismayed. I, I'm, please don't feel like super convicted and condemned by this, but it's just an example that's in my head because it's so present right now. I don't really understand the whole like Love Island thing. And I'll tell you why I don't understand it. I'm being serious. I don't understand it. And I'll tell you why I don't understand it. How can you watch a program where you enjoy watching people's brokenness and sinfulness, where you enjoy watching people suffer in darkness, where you actively are complicit and participate in the mental anguish that they are involved with, their sinfulness that has pulled them away from God, right? Imagine if you then met that person and had an opportunity to witness to them. What are you going to say to them? Hey, I loved watching your sinfulness and your brokenness. I had a great time every was it Monday night. I had a great time every Monday night enjoying watching you be sinful. Hey, it was brilliant watching your mental state kind of get a bit fractured and a bit confused and knowing that this was going to have an impact on young people around the world. I absolutely loved it. By the way, let me tell you about Jesus because he loves you. What the heck? What the heck? The things that we say out of our mouths can be blessings or they can be curses. Even the words, God loves you, can be a curse if it's not backed up out of a life that has actually submitted itself to that truth. That God loves us and we can't be the same in light of that. Look at Jesus on the cross. In that moment, instead of speaking out failure, what does Jesus speak out? Father, forgive them. Instead of failure, he speaks out forgiveness. Instead of violence, I'm going to come down off this cross and I'm going to tear the place up because you shouldn't have done this to me. What does he do? He speaks victory. It is accomplished. Instead of speaking condemnation, you guys have killed me. You're all condemned. What does he speak? You will be with me in paradise. He speaks community. 
Instead of tragedy, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. He speaks trust. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus' relationship to the Father and to the Spirit enables him to speak and live in such a way that turns words from curse to blessing. The same is true for us. Your relationship with your Father God will affect whether the words that come from your mouth, this powerful little thing called the tongue, are curses or blessings. Look, when living authentically in relationship with Jesus, he transforms our hearts and we can turn words of war to witness. Violence to victory, worthlessness to worship, humiliation to humility, hate to hope, curse to comfort. And you get to decide, bullets or blessings, chaos or peace. It is a guarantee that every single one of us is going to say words today. And by God's power and his grace and his love, your words can be blessings. And if we really want to succeed, as we speak to God, as we speak to ourselves, as we speak to our family, both our blood family and our Christian family, and as we speak to the world, there is only one hope for success of bringing blessing. And it's to say, Lord, you have my mouth, you you have my tongue because you have my heart. The tongue will obey the heart And so our heart has to obey the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that today you will help us to get our hearts right before you. The hope of speaking well in this world, of bringing peace rather than chaos, of being blessing rather than curse is found in hearts that are wholly submitted to you. Lord, help us. We know we don't always get it right. We are so thankful that you are gracious. And even in our failings, you you forgive us. Wow. But Lord, help us to do better and better and better as we grow strong in the faith. Let our tongues not be weapons of destruction, but instead let them be gateways to peace and wholeness in life. Thank you, Father, that you would choose to use us to speak well in this world. And you empower us to do so. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.